Man, today we are uh, we're celebrating some cool things. Uh, you know, Steamboat is celebrating Winter Carnival, and so apparently our community thinks it's important to celebrate winter. They can do that if they want, and that's cool. Um, and then, of course, this uh, evening, the uh, uh, whole nation uh, is going to be celebrating uh, football and having a good time. But we in here, we're celebrating life change. We're celebrating the power that Jesus can bring to life change. You're going to hear an incredible story today. We're honored to have uh, Vance Johnson, who was one of John Elway's favorite targets back in the 80s, early 90s. Uh, many of you, I've talked to so many of you guys growing up, you were like, this was the man, and, uh, and he is, and was an incredible player. But uh, what you're going to hear today, and I just want to warn you, is uh, and head, give you a heads up. You're going to hear a story about a man. We, we know the celebrity. We know the football player, Vance Johnson. But we don't know um, the, the real uh, person and what he went through. And uh, you're going to hear an incredible story. And I hope at the end of this that you're going to be compelled to want to know who Jesus is because of the power that Christ has done in his life. He's gone through a lot. And, uh, and I hope this will encourage you. And so, hey, I don't want to waste any of his time. I want him to get, get up here and share. I know that's why you came to see him. Would you guys welcome, Steamboat Christian Center welcome, Vance Johnson from the Denver Broncos. Now can you hear me? Yes. yes. Like I said, we play for Team Jesus now, don't we? Amen. Amen. We do everything to glorify our God. So before I get into my testimony and before I even uh, share with you what I'm doing right now, I actually had a relationship where I was able to communicate with someone who, like me, in recovery, also is celebrating. She's from Kaya. Will you stand up there? Get that microphone. I'd love you to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Leanne. I'm graduating today from Kaya. <laughs> yes. How did we meet? How did we meet? Um, I reached out to Vance several years ago um, from Longmont, Colorado, needing help, and he reached right back to me and tried to help me back then. Unfortunately, I was still struggling, and I just wasn't quite ready yet. And then when I shared my testimony here at SCC um, this past a year, almost today, I reached out to him again for help, and he dropped everything and helped me find recovery, and get into Kaya, and he's been supportive ever since. Praise God. Amen. Thank you so much. Awesome. That so blesses me. Thank you, dear. And so first, I'd like you to put a, that first photo up. I actually am now the ambassador at America's Rehab Campuses there in Tucson, Arizona, where my el elderly parents live. I actually moved back there a little over a month and a half ago to spend time with my family, be an ambassador, and do Bible studies, also get people into the treatment program that I work at there. But no matter where in the country people are dealing with loved ones suffering an addiction, I ask them to reach out to me because no matter where they are, I want to help them get into treatment because that's the promise I made God when I got clean. And I'm celebrating eight years, so I just give God all the praise and glory. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So originally, I am from New Jersey. Anybody from uh, know where New Jersey is? Good place to be from, especially these days. Absolutely. In fact, can you catch, Pastor? Wow. <laughs> With one hand. Yeah, that was a great catch. So how I came about being born in Trenton, New Jersey, is my father was born in Trenton, New Jersey. He was one of six siblings, and he was the youngest, actually, of six siblings. My dad actually now is uh, in his mid-80s. But being uh, one of six siblings, his father, back in the late 30s, his dad got killed on the tracks, railroad tracks, when they were building railroad tracks back in the day. And so my father didn't grow up with a dad. And not growing up with a father, 
pretty much my father was just doing what the streets had him do. And he got involved in different types of things, drugs, alcohol, stealing, gambling. They were doing all different types of stuff all the way from his young childhood where it got to a point where being a part of a gang there in Trenton, New Jersey, they were also killing each other. There were a lot of murders going on. I'm very transparent in my testimony, guys. It got to the point where my father didn't finish junior high school, didn't finish high school, and eventually was forced to go to court several times. And then he was facing prison time, and they gave him a choice. Young man, you either join the service or go to prison. My dad opted to join the service. And so he was then stationed in Fort Huachuca, Arizona. So all the way from the East Coast all the way out here down south into Fort Huachuca, Arizona, after about a year or so, they allowed them to go off-site. And my dad went to, and I just found this out a little bit earlier, that there is a, a bridge here called James Brown. I heard about that. Well, guess what? My dad, he went to a James Brown concert back in the day. And when he gets to the concert, he sees a young lady sitting inside of a car, and he goes over and taps on the window. And back then, you couldn't push a button to roll it. You had to go like this to roll it down. So she rolls the window down and introduces herself and says, hi, my name's Imogene. And he says, my name's Eugene. So you got Gene and Gene talking. And he asked this young girl, and she was only 15 years old, and he's 20 at the time. And by the way, real quick, when I travel around the country and share my testimony, I ask any high school kids, any 15-year-old girls in the room? And they'll raise their hand. I said, don't you talk to no 20-year-old boys. <laughs> so you'll see why now. <laughs> so he asked this young girl, why aren't you inside there? She says, I'm only 15, and they're selling alcohol. So he stays outside and not go to the concert and hangs out with her for about two or three hours. He finds out where she lives at in Marana, Arizona. He starts to visit her high school. He goes out to the cotton gin yard where the grandfather, well, my grandfather now, is actually the head cotton picker. And eventually he goes to her high school and he gets on his knees and proposes to a 15-year-old girl. And you know what she says? I'll marry you, but I have to ask my ditty. So they go back out to the cotton gin yard and ask uh, this guy, can I marry your daughter? And this grandfather says, yes. And then guess who gets inside her belly after that? Me. <laughs> so I'm inside this 15-year-old's belly, and my dad ends up dodging the draft, didn't have to go to Vietnam, and they flew back out to New Jersey. My father, going back out to Jersey, went back to his old ways. He started hitting the streets again. He's now his girlfriend, I'm sorry, his wife now is 16 years old with a child. And she was really traumatized by the things she had to be around back there in New Jersey. And eventually takes me and goes back out to Tucson. Well, my dad comes back out and kidnaps his wife and child and go back to New Jersey. And nine months later, my sister was born. But again, he went back to his ways in the streets and the using and the selling. And the other thing he starts to do is abuse my mother. And so my mom told my dad, if you want to be in me and these kids' life, you're going to have to come with us back out to Arizona. We can't live with you here in New Jersey. So we all moved back to Tucson, Arizona. There's a saying, you could take the brother out of Jersey, but you can't take Jersey out the brother. So literally my father, even though he left New Jersey, still in Tucson, Arizona, just hit the streets, was doing all different types of things, whether it was the drugs, the alcohol. He started to cheat on my mother. I mean, it just got crazy, guys. And now I'm old enough to just really witness the abuse that my mother was going through. So I was so traumatized as a kid that I just hated my father growing up. I just promised myself, even when I was a little boy, that one day I'm going to kill this guy because I hate him. I was going to say Nick, but I don't cuss anymore, so I couldn't get that out of my mouth. As time went on, guys, I just really started to see my mother get punched in the mouth and her hair pulled, her eyes be black. She had to wear glasses. This happened on a daily basis. I hated this man as a kid. It got to the point where I wouldn't even celebrate birthday parties anymore because I hated my life growing up as a child. I literally 
I think I was around between seven and nine years old. I would like run away from home sometimes. One time I was 11 miles away. I ran away from home. I was downtown Tucson, Arizona. And my parents were looking for me and they drove up and saw me. And my father pulls, the, pulls up and rolls the window down and says, son, are you hungry? I said, dad, I'm starving. He says, well, you know where you live at. He rolls the window back up and drives home. So I had to walk 11 miles back home. But when I get back up there, I don't want to come inside. I'm outside. My sister's giving me stuff to drink and eat. But it gets hot in Tucson, so eventually I came back inside. And so I'm so traumatized watching this man beat on my mother every day, scream at her, yell at her, cheat on her, all different types of things that I didn't know how to survive in this life. And so I literally would just watch television, watch sports, watch people get, getting clapped for. In fact, I have another testimony about one of those famous ball players who I used to follow when I was a kid, wanting to be like him when I grew up. I actually ended up on the front page with him as a Denver Bronco, and I won't even share that until I get to that. But I wanted to be like him because he was famous. And so to me, it was about achieving an identity, not receiving your identity. In fact, if you don't mind showing that video, and you'll see at the very end what my hands do, so I can show you how self-righteous I was. But there's a video of my highlights. acquired this pick from Houston and has selected Vance Johnson, wide receiver, Arizona. It's very rare that you see a wide right. receiver with the, the rare speed, the 4-4 four, four speed. You know, Zim mentioned 4-2-8, which was accurate, mm -hmm. by the way. So I think uh, Vance Johnson will fit in very well with Denver. It's a position they needed to fill. The second round draft pick quickly made an impact. Van Johnson kicked in the speed. Using his greatest asset to become one of John Elway's top targets. That's a fine, fine catch. Good throw, but a great catch by Van Johnson. The ability to elude defenders and his quick-witted persona helped Johnson win the hearts of Denver fans. Who's that all about? About me, wasn't it? Because I was so self-righteous back then, guys. And that's why I'm so proud and blessed to be back here in the very place that I promised God I wanted to go back to so I can tell you what was really happening behind the scenes. You only saw the edited version of Vance on the field. I'll get more into my testimony. So as a young child, and like I told you, running away from home sometimes and struggling with my father being abusive to my mother, I would only just lean on sports. And if you want to put up my kid's sports career, I was a young athlete just loving track and field and football, baseball. I did all different types of sports as a child because I wanted to achieve an identity. Even as a young kid, I remember one day just looking up into the sky, not sky rather, but at the bedroom up at the ceiling and just telling God, I want to be in the Super Bowl one day. And literally almost hearing inside of myself that I was going to be in the Super Bowl one day. And I'm just a kid. Again, it was about sports. You know, I would sneak into my mother and father's room sometime when you're a child because kids, we get kind of sneaky to see what mom and dad have in their room. And I walked into the closet and I saw this magazine, and you guys never heard of this, you're too young. It was called Hustler. So, guys, as a young kid, I had a problem even looking at the different things inside the Hustler magazine. And you guys know it was a pornography magazine. I would also see these videos that my father had. And so I literally even had an addiction to that growing up as a child, even though I was a virgin most of my life. So as time goes on, well, all the way up until I was 21 years old, and I'll, I'll share that too, uh, 19 years old rather. So as time goes on, I decide that, you know, I'm just going to do sports. My father became my coach. He told me what to do. So I did listen to my dad not even realizing that he didn't even know how to be a father, and that's the reason why I had to go through what I went through with him. 
that he would make me get, go to bed at a certain time at night. He would make me get up at a certain time in the morning. He made me work out. He made me do the right thing when it came to my sports. And so I listened to him and my coaches and became very successful. All the time that I was running track and playing football, I knew I was going to be great because I was doing what my mind was right. I called myself a believer in God, but I wasn't a follower. We would go to church all the time. My mother and my, my father would only go on holidays. But my mother went to church every week, sometimes three, four times a week because she was involved in the church. And she would be the head cook there on the weekends. She did the Sunday school services. And even my sister and I would go to church. But as children, I didn't see what was happening in the church in my house. And so to me, I looked forward to going to church. But then the rest of the week, I was living in my flesh and just doing everything I could do to survive because it was all about me and my future. As time went on, here I am now in high school. I'm now big enough and strong enough to get angry at my dad. I even tried to kill my father one day, guys, because of the abuse I saw him put my mom through. I drug him outside one day, and I was going to crush his head with a rock. And he looked up at me. He was drunk and said, just kill me. I'm worth nothing anyway. So I threw the rock down by his head and said, if you ever touch my mom again, I will kill you. I will kill you. As time goes on, I decided to go to school well, actually, real quick, let me say this. So as a high school athlete, I went to Caracas, Venezuela, representing the United States of America at the Pan American Games, and I actually ended up winning the gold medal in the long jump. So I was one of the best athletes in high school. That's how good it was. It was, again, about achieving that identity to me. And so I did what was right in my own eyes so that I could be great and famous and hopefully wealthy one day. I ended up actually finishing in high school, running track, and getting ready to go to college, I decided to stay there in the University of Arizona and became an Arizona Wildcat where I was a freshman in college. And you guys can Google this when you get a chance. But I was able to actually go run track at the NCAA championships. And if you guys heard of uh, Carl Lewis, one of the best athletes in, in the history of America, well, he was the number one long jumper in the world at the time. And so when I got there, I was actually at the night before the finals, I was number 14th place. And they were only taking 13. And Carl Lewis was number one, obviously. Well, they came to my room that night and said, Mr. Johnson, the 13th place guy can't compete. Would you like to compete tomorrow? And I was like, I'd love to. So I gave my mom a call and said, Mom, I get to jump against Carl Lewis tomorrow. I said, do me a favor, Mom. Will you ask God to take away this horrible headache I have? And she said, son, do me a favor. Why don't you get off the phone, get on your knees, and ask God to take away your headache and tell him you'll jump for him tomorrow. I'm like, okay, Mom, Bye. So I did it anyway. I got on my knees, guys, and I swear to you, this is the truth. I looked up into the sky and said, Lord, if you just take away my headache, all of a sudden my headache goes away. Aspirin can't even take away your headache that fast. So the very next day, here I am jumping all day long, and about two or three hours later, I'm on my last jump of the day, and I'm still around number 12th to 13th place, maybe 11th place, and this thought comes to my head that I had made a promise to God. Anybody ever made a promise to God they forgot? I had forgotten that promise. And so what I did was I backed up another 12 inches because I think I'm going to try harder this time. So I'm 12 inches further back. And I take off running. And when I get ready down the runway to hit the board, guess how far behind the board I am? 12 inches. But I jump anyway. But when I get up in the air, I'm not coming down. And people were like looking at me like this. And I'm looking down at them like this. And do you know when I landed, and you can Google this, I just won the NCAA championship. As a freshman in college, I beat the number one long jumper in the world, Carl Lewis. I jumped 26 feet, 3 quarters, and 11 inches, so basically 27 feet. And if you add another 24 inches on that, I broke the world record. I mean, this is just amazing. And obviously, God is faithful. 
And, but again, it was about me, and that's why I love the song that you guys were singing when we were worshiping the Lord, because I was using God as a slot machine back in the day. As time goes on, I go back. I'm one of the best running backs, actually, in, the, in college at the time. One of my first plays was a 99-yard touchdown, so I was really a great football player when I played there. And I'm going to fast forward all the way to my last year in college when I was getting ready to get drafted, but I was going to be drafted as a running back because I was a running back my whole life since I was a child. But they told me, Vance, you can't play running back in the NFL. You're too small. So maybe you can play wide receiver. So when I go to the scouting combine, I actually meet a guy by the name of Randall Cunningham, who actually ended up playing 17 years in the NFL, but we were both going to be drafted that year. And he tells me, do me a favor. Follow Jerry Rice around. Whatever route he runs, I'll throw you the pass. And all you got to do is just catch the pass, and the scouts will compare you to him. And even though you're not as good as he is, they'll still, when they think about drafting, they'll say, well, remember that kid, Vance? So maybe we should draft him as a receiver. So I followed Jerry Rice around and did what exactly Randall Cunningham told me to do. By the way, to this day, Randall Cunningham has been a pastor now for the last 13 years out in Las Vegas, Nevada. I just give God praise to the glory of God. Amen. He also now plays for Team Jesus. So as time goes on, he said, now you need to get up next to Jerry Rice and run the 40 meters and then beat him. And then that way they'll also compare you to him too. I was like, but he's Jerry Rice. He said, I don't care, Vance. Get up next to him and run when they call his name. So I lined up next to Jerry Rice and I blew Jerry Rice away. So the draft comes and I was projected to go in the ninth round. I ended up getting drafted in the second round, second pick by the Denver Broncos. I was so excited about that. I wanted to play with John Elway, who was one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL at the time. So I fly out to Denver, Colorado, guys. And if you guys want to go ahead and show that, that pick of me and my career, I'm drafted by the Broncos. When I land, the newspaper says, Broncos advance. If you ever want to know where advance came from. No, just kidding. So here I am now, Denver Bronco. And so I finally made it to the identity that I've always wanted. And just like I told you guys earlier, I had not drank alcohol, I had not smoked no weed, I had not smoked cigarettes, I had not done anything except doing what I thought was right in my eyes to achieve an identity. So here I am now in Denver. We go to the fourth and final preseason game for the final cuts. And I get to be on the field the last play of that game against the San Francisco 49ers, and all I got to do, I can still catch, right? Yes. <laughs> all I got to do is just catch a punt on the 10-yard lines. And normally, guys, what I can do is, I can catch a ball with my eyes shut, with my eyes closed. And so I thought, I'll be on the front page, so I'm going to catch the ball with my eyes shut. I said, no, never mind. This is the last play of the game, and I don't want to get cut. So the ball's coming down, and guess what happens? I fumble. And the ball rolls in the end zone, and San Francisco scores a touchdown. And my teammates were like, dude, your career's over with. You're done. Guys, when we flew back out to Denver, I was so stressed out, and my mind went back to my childhood with the trauma that I went up and around, being around a guy who was not a dad, a mother who had to go through the trauma, and I thought to myself, i got to go back out there and live with him? I'm going to get cut? I'd rather just die. But all of a sudden, my teammates on the way to the final cut, they stopped by a liquor store, and that's when I had my first drink when I was 21 years old. And guess what? I need to share this too. I lost my virginity when I was 19 years old. A young lady got pregnant. I abandoned that first kid. I got mad at her because her dad told me if I don't quit and marry his daughter, I can't see her anymore. And I got another young lady pregnant. So now, guys, I've already abandoned two kids. Two kids before I've made it to the NFL. But again, I'm so self-righteous, it's all about me. So now here I am. I'm drunk. I didn't get cut. 
I'm thinking I finally made it to where I needed to be in life. This is all about me. I call myself a believer. I would even go to church sometimes, but that was only so the pastors could recognize Vance Johnson. And then I made it about me instead of glorifying God in all things that I am supposed to do, like we're all supposed to do. Yes, we can be athletes because the Apostle Paul said what? Unless the athlete competes according to the rules, they cannot get the victory. That's who we are in our walk with Christ these days, right? And that's who we're all supposed to be. Back to my career. So now I also danced with the Colorado Ballet. I did all these different things, guys. But the only way I was able to cope with life off the field was by using, drinking, and smoking, and all kinds of stuff. I met a young lady one time during my career, and she said, have you ever smoked weed before? I said, no, I never had weed. She actually took me downtown Denver, Colorado, said, finish drinking your soda pop in your can. I was like, what does that have to do with weed? I finished drinking the soda, and then she makes holes on top of the can and puts the weed on top of it and lights it up, and I take a suck out of it. And so here I am now, drunk and high. I was also taking different types of legal drugs at the time because of my injuries and my career. And off the field, I only leaned on different types of addictions. That night, I went back with this young lady to the hotel, and guess who, for the third time, now I got a third child inside someone's belly. She ends up giving me a call, guys, and she's out in Houston, Texas. Now, you guys saw my highlights, but let me tell you what's happening off the field, the struggles that I was dealing with in life because I was making it all about me, not even realizing that the God I believed in, I believed in, but I was not a follower of. She called me from Houston, Texas, and said that she was going to have an abortion. And I said, please don't kill the baby. I'll marry you. I'm not going to be like my dad. I flew out to Houston. She said, I'm not going back to Denver unless you marry me. So we flew out to Las Vegas. And that night, guys, in Las Vegas, do you know how much money I lost? $86,000 gambling. $86,000. But I got married the next morning for $12. <laughs> From the same hotel. So literally, it must have cost $86,000 to get married. So we fly back out to Denver, Colorado. And as time goes on, I'm enjoying myself on the field. I'm going to get married. I'm going to be a good guy. I actually one day find myself in the shower with my teammates. This is literal, and I won't tell you my teammates' names. But one of them looked over at me and says, how's that girl Ange doing? I was like, Ange? Who's Ange? Another guy, teammate, says, Angela, big freak. They were having sex with my wife. My teammates were having sex with my wife. I was so angry, and this is where my testimony gets even deeper and darker. So I pray that you guys don't get and run out of here when you hear this. But I was so angry when I found out that they were sleeping with my wife, and they proved it to me that I literally got in the car, I start using drugs and drinking. By the time I got home, I was thinking to myself, my mother didn't deserve to go through what she went through. And so as I ran upstairs, I'm screaming and I'm yelling. And guys, I started punching on her. And then I grabbed her and I threw her across the bed and she hit her head against the closet door. And my wife was laying on the ground, dead. This Denver Bronco has a wife on the ground, dead. I run over and I open her mouth and I'm blowing air into her lungs. I'm pushing down on her chest, and she's not breathing. Eventually, I have to pick her up and run into the bathroom, and I'm throwing water in her face, and I start to dump her head and water into her face from the toilet, and she starts to breathe. And you know what I said to her? I wish you were still dead. I don't cuss anymore, otherwise I'd have to use the language that the man I was back then. And I, I went out and started cheating on her and met another girl. I eventually actually ended up doing an illegal marriage to that young lady there. And so now here I am already in my second marriage. I've already abandoned two of my kids that I found out that were in Arizona being sexually molested by their mother's boyfriends. What kind of father am I? But again, it's all about me. Do you know during my career, guys, I had three women pregnant at the same time? Three women pregnant at the same time. 
I had the second wife I married illegally pregnant. I had a woman I was cheating with pregnant, and I had another man's wife pregnant. And the only way I was able to even cope and deal with life back then was by using drugs, alcohol, and leaning on my own understanding. As time goes on, I end up actually meeting one of those children that were born from at a Denver Bronco football game. That's right. There was a guy standing at the side of the fence during the game, and he was holding a little baby. Wow, hold that child up right there. Stand up, please, and hold that baby up. And it has, you see that kid right there? That's how old that kid was that I saw for the first time across the fence. And this guy was screaming at me, Vance Johnson, this is your so-and-so kid. And my, um, Mike Shanahan was my coach and said, I got to go in the field. And I came back. And so I found out years later that that young child was not only being beat on by the guy that thought he was the biological father, but he was also being sexually molested by the grandfather. What kind of father am I? The only time I had any happiness and joy was when I was on the football field. Off the field, I was living a lie, and I was only walking and living in my flesh, abandoning my children. They were all being molested. They were being beat on, and I was not even in their lives. As time goes on, I actually end up racing, going 120, 30, 40, 50 miles an hour in my car. I would get pulled over, and so I would just end up giving the police officer tickets to the game that weekend so they wouldn't put me in jail or arrest me. Another thing that happened is I got in an accident one time, and I was high. They had to put me in an ambulance and take me to the hospital right there in Denver. And the cops came because they needed to check me out because they had heard that I was high. And I had asked the doctor when he realized I was Vance Johnson, the Denver Bronco, where can I hide at? And he said, well, I can't show you where to go, but if you go down that hallway, then there's a, I won't tell you the rest of that, except for I went and hid, and I hid down by the morgue where they, hide the, where they put the bodies at. And I hid down there all night long until they had to come search the hospital to find me. But at that time, they allowed me to just leave campus. And so I ended up just going out on the field making touchdowns. This is what was happening, guys, after you saw my touchdowns. And sometimes even before. I would go out to Las Vegas after every ball game, and I would lose hundreds of thousands, eventually millions of dollars. I was even held hostage by one of the casinos in Las Vegas. And they wouldn't let me leave until the Broncos paid them the $204,000 that was owed. This is what you guys, I'm telling the truth that was happening behind the scenes. As time goes on, have you guys heard the recent story about that kid, Antonio Brown, who ran off the football field not too long ago? That guy, he ain't running away from the problem. He's running into the problem. And professional athletes, and I need to be really transparent with you guys, we don't actually, it's like climbing to the top of a ladder. The only place to go is where? Down. Pro athletes, we don't climb back down the ladder once we get up to the top thinking that's our identity. We jump off head first. And I'm going to prove that even more so in my testimony. And just like him, him running off the field and taking his uniform off and everything, the Broncos asked me to come back to sign another three-year contract because I had already played 10 years in the NFL and three Super Bowls. And I decided, guys, that I'm not even just going to go anymore. I'm not even going to show up. I lied to him and said I would, and I just didn't show back up. And so now the only way I'm able to survive and cope with life is lean even more on my addictions, more on relationships. I'll fast forward. I moved to the Western Slope of Colorado. I opened up a Vance Johnson restaurant. And again, it was all about me. I'm using drugs. I'm suffering with my CTE, my head trauma from my career, relationships. I'm already in my seventh marriage. This is like a movie, guys. I'm already in my seventh marriage at the time. And as time goes on, my oldest son, decides to move over across to be, spend time with me and go to college. In fact, I need to apologize to that little kid right there. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I was a horrible father. I was a horrible dad. 
as time goes on, this son, man, this is so interesting how this happened right here when I'm sharing this part of my story. This son of mine reaches out to me. I got him in college. His car had broken down. He was reaching out to me to try to get a ride across the mountain to see his, grand, his mother because his grandfather just died of cancer. And I want to show you the phone call on the video that I had from his mom. His life was spiraling out of control. And in 2007, a phone call sent him over the edge. It was about 10.30 in the morning, and my first wife called me, and she said, our son is dead. And I was behind the bar in the restaurant, and, uh, and I said, what? She said, Vaughn is dead. A drunk driver ran a stop sign and killed him. And so I picked up this bottle of Patron, and I just started drinking. And then the article that was up about my son's death, guys, it was my fault that my son got killed. My son reached out to me to get a ride to go see his mom, and I didn't respond to him. And so because his car broke down, he drove the motorcycle across the mountain. And the very night that my son reached out to me, he was killed by a drunk driver. What kind of father am I? Again, it's about me. And the only way I'm able to cope now in life is by drinking even more in more relationships because I was just walking by my flesh and living in just such sin. I even would go to church with the woman that was my seventh wife who was a believer. Eventually she had to leave me because I was cheating on her too. But because of her grace, she actually reached out to the NFL to ask them to help me. And guess what? I was a million dollars in debt at the time. And they contacted a former Tampa Bay Buccaneer by the name of Randy Grimes. And so God literally did an intervention through that young lady to offer help for me to get treatment. Now, I had fallen off and relapsed several times prior to that. But I was driving through this canyon one time and just screaming and crying out to God to save me. Screaming and crying out to him. And that's when this intervention happened on me that I didn't even ask for. And so I ended up flying out to Florida to go to treatment. And when I was out in Florida, there was about nine other professional football players in treatment and we didn't want to be around the community because we called ourselves better than them. But eventually I was the last one there. And so I decided to not be a part of the community and leave treatment. So I left one day and I'm at the front of the gate getting ready to climb over top and somehow leave. And I heard this voice in my head and it said, go back in and listen. I would never talk to myself like that. And all of a sudden I look across the street and there is, and I even had to prove this stuff to myself not too long ago because I've been sharing this part of my testimony, but because of my CTE, I have forgotten that, whether it was true or not, and I Googled it next to that treatment center, and there was a church across the street with a cross on top of it. Literally, the Lord was telling me in my mind to go back in and listen. And when I walked back in and became a part of the community, I started to hear my story when I heard people's testimonies. And I started to believe that we all, live in this flesh and we all suffer. Many of us have loved ones and even ourselves who are suffering or going through different types of trauma and addictions. And so I started to compare myself to that. And then they allowed me to get a recovery Bible and I started reading scripture because it was my first time really understanding scripture when I was reading it. They took us to church and even though there are many roads to recovery, there's only one road to through Christ to our God. And so I just, guys, repented from my sins and addictions and asked our Lord and Savior to please show me the way that I should go. And I started reading different types of scriptures that started to make a lot of sense and parallel the life that I was living. In fact, if you put up the one, uh, Hebrew, uh, no, Proverbs, really, Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And didn't I share with you guys, I was doing what I thought was right since I was a child, 
Where does I end up at? In my deathbed. Another scripture in Hebrews 5, 7, it says this. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Didn't they say I was driving through a canyon doing what? Crying out to God to save me. So I asked my brothers and sisters, especially those who are in treatment, are you crying out to the God that can save you? Even to my brothers and sisters who aren't in treatment but are going through different issues and trials, even with their relationships, are you crying out to God? Because you will be heard because of your reverence. And this is the part that really got me. In verses 8, although he was the son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Are you learning obedience through the things you've had to suffer through? With 2020, the COVID thing, guys, and the things that are happening, the divisions that's happening, the loved ones who I've even lost loved ones out on the East Coast to the coronavirus, which, by the way, I call the enemy's plandemic instead of pandemic. I call it a plandemic because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And to me, that means divide. And who else does he want to divide more than the church? He wants to divide us. But I give God praise for his grace and his love and his mercy because us who are believers, our eyes are open. And so we don't walk by the flesh, we walk by the spirit. And we know the truth. And that's the reason why we have to have love and grace for all those who are dealing and suffering. But we, we learn and we learn through the things that we suffer through to keep our eyes on Christ because he is the light to our path, right? The light. He is the light. So as time goes on, I end up leaving treatment. And the NFL, if you want to show a photo of the NFL films, and that's part of the, the different videos that you've been seeing. But NFL Films, this is my house when I moved up to Pennsylvania. They asked that they could do a documentary of my life because they had been following me all this time and saw that my recovery was real. And they wanted to be able to offer the hope to other ballplayers. And so this is right here when they talked to me on the video camera. And then they asked me, guys, if they could take me back to Colorado to my son's gravesite so that they could record me out there. And do you know, when I was high and drunk at my son's gravesite on the burial day, I didn't remember where he was buried at. So if you'll put that next video up, I want to show you guys. And I picked that cup up thinking that that was tequila and I'd drink it and it was urine. i throw it up on the floor. I would still be screaming at my mother and father, blaming everything on them. So my life is just spiraling out of control with addiction. But the turning point was when I knew that God had a plan for me. After all these years of domestic issues and addictions and the height of my career and touchdowns and Super Bowls and that it was all for nothing, I realized that, no, it was all for a purpose. I didn't even know where he was the first time, so I walked around this graveyard for hours looking for him. It was so surreal to me that I remembered him being buried, but I was high. And so I never thought, there he is right there. I love you, man. I, um... I just wanted to come out of here and, uh... tell you that I kept my promise. For the rest of my life, all I want to do is just travel around this country and just offer hope. And because my addiction took me away from you and your brothers and sisters, I have a story now that I can tell people. 
My why, my why I'm sober, my why I'm clean, my why I wake up every day. Hope that people will listen to me so I can be a part of breaking the stigma that people don't have to die in their addictions. They don't have to be ashamed to talk about it. And there's so many of us athletes that people look up to and they cheer for us by the tens and thousands. And whatever we do, they wanna, they wanna idolize and worship. And so that's why I get this platform now to offer hope to everyone. And like I said, by the grace of God, I'm able to do that now for the rest of my life. There are lots more videos that they were taking out there, guys, and they end up cutting some of that out. Because I, I fell across my son's grave. And also, they also cut out the part with my why, because my why was Jesus. And that's where I wanted to go out and offer the hope. Because Christ Jesus forgave me for the sins that I had lived through all of my life. And like I told you, my dad didn't grow up with a father, so he didn't know how to be a father. But I thank God for the true father, our father God. Amen. 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 So as time goes on with that and the videos that were able to be put together, I actually just made a promise to God. And I started to read another Bible verse that I didn't even know about. Have you guys heard of the woman at the well? Can I share a little bit of that story and how I relate my life to that? So when Jesus had to go through Samaria on purpose, and literally the Samaritans and the Jews didn't hang out, they didn't care anything about each other. And Jesus, though, being the word that put on flesh, there was a purpose for him to go there. And when he went up to the well and asked that young lady for water, and she says, you know, this well is too deep and you don't have anything to get the water out. And he says, well, if you would have asked me for water, I would have given you living water. And she says, give me some of that living water. And what does he say to her? Okay, go and get your husband. Come back up. And she says, and this is Vance right here, by the way. I'm not married. He says, no, you're not. You've been married five times. I was like, five times? I was married seven times. Our God forgave. He, and then he, obviously Christ spent time with her and told her everything about herself. And then what did she do? She went back into the very town where she had those marriages at and probably talked to Jesus, and he told her about the trauma that she probably had to even go through in those relationships. And then she told everyone about the Christ. They believed and then came to be with him and listened to him and became believers too. The promise I made God was I wanted to run back into the very place, Colorado, to share the hope in Christ who forgave me for my sins and my addictions. Guys, after about a year being clean, which, you know what, it takes time when you're walking your recovery. But those that God loves, he tests. And after about a year being clean and walking away from other different types of addictions, as I continue to just walk in the light and only study God's word and believe God's word rather than leaning on my own understanding, I started to realize that I need to go repent for my sins because we are called to repent for our sins. And so to you, Colorado, who I love the most, I call this home. I repent for my sins against Colorado when I was there playing football as a Denver Bronco. The other thing I did was I got on my knees inside of a church when they asked me, Pastor Bo Sosa there in Denver, Colorado, to come and share my testimony. And guys, there were 3,000 people inside the auditorium. And I got on my knees and I asked this question. The spirit just came over me. And I said, does anyone know any of my ex-wives? Please, please raise your hand. Do you know half the church raised their hands? I was so scared. But I said, please tell my ex-wives I'm sorry. And I repent for my sins against them because it was me. I was the problem, not them. And I asked, did any of you know any of my kids? And the other half of the people raised their hands. All 3,000 people knew my ex-wives and my children. And I, I asked them to please tell my kids that I repent and I'm so sorry that I didn't be a father in their lives. I didn't raise them in the way that they should go. And they all went back and told them. 
Now, I normally open this up for question and answers, so real quick, I want to let you know that recently, over the last couple, two or three years, I've been reuniting even with my own kids. I just give God the praise for that. Because what I thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. In fact, like I told you guys, I just moved back to Arizona about a little over a month and a half ago to be with my elderly parents. My father's in his 80s and my mother's in her late 70s. And I found out that that son that was being sexually molested, my, my junior, Vance Jr., was going to be coming to my mom and dad's house to see them. And I was going to be there at the, my mom and dad's house. So I had not seen him since he was born, literally. I got on my knees when he walked in the house, and I looked up at him and said, Son, Dad is so sorry, and I repent for my sins against you. My son forgave me, guys. My son forgave me. I reunited with my, my daughter, the one I told you, my first child, with her and my grandkids. So literally, God is mighty, and he's restoring these relationships between me and my kids. So six out of the seven of my children have come to reunite with me and forgiving me. Even one here in Colorado recently that had a car accident and crashed in the mountains on the other side, and I ended up actually taking care of his vehicle. His name is Taylor. He was the one I told you guys that I, I had that was somebody else's relationship that they were having. But the Lord is just really grateful at doing things that if we would just lean on not our own understanding, but just surrendering ourselves over to him, that all things are possible through Christ Jesus who came to pay it all. His grace and love and mercy is just amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. And again, I normally open this up to questions and answers, but obviously because of time I won't be able to do this. I'm going to be out in the hallway here, but I'm going to pray for you guys before I leave. And I can look forward to going to the Kaya graduation because, young lady, thank you so much for letting everyone know about me up here and all the time that it's taken for us now to put this together. Pastor, I'd love to be a part of your ministry however I can to come back because I call Colorado home. And I'm even hoping one day to move back up in this area. And can I go skiing up here this afternoon? No. <laughs> so, guys, like I said before, I now play for Team Jesus, so now for life. So that's the reason why I glorify him in the very platform he allowed me to fall off of. I get to now use as a way to show the hope in Christ Jesus who paid it all for all of us. So I'm going to pray for you guys if that's okay. Father God, I lift my brothers and my sisters up. I lift the saints up before you, Lord, in spirit and truth. Thanking you, my God, for your grace, your love, and your mercy, knowing that some of them may be able to relate, Lord, with even my testimony and my story, but knowing through all things are possible to Christ Jesus who came to pay it all, to redeem us, Lord. You loved us that much that you sent your own son. And so my brothers and sisters, maybe in struggling with their faith, you will grow in your faith if you continue to lean on his understanding and not our own knowing that he paid the price so that we would all be redeemed and come to the hope and truth in Christ Jesus. So I lift my brothers and sisters up in spirit and truth. I thank you, Lord, for allowing me to come to be a part of this amazing opportunity to share my testimony, to repent for my sins, and to say that there is the way, and that is the Christ. I give you all praise and glory and lift my brothers and sisters up and say that this is their testimony to go out to share the hope, to be ambassadors for Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Pastor. Awesome. Thank you.